You're listening to a message from Streams Church in Litchfield Park, Arizona. For more content, visit streamschurch.org. And now, Pastor Lloyd Baker. Uh, we're starting a three-week series about family values. Uh, it's a portion of ideas of a series that I um, heard from Annie Stanley, who I love, out of Atlanta. And the problem is when we speak about, or the challenging part when we speak about family values is, each of us come from a very diverse family traditions. Uh, some of us here come from traditional families, some blended families. Maybe you have adopted children, foster kids. Maybe you're in a second marriage or a third marriage. Maybe you're between marriages. There's all kinds of situations that are uh, represented here. And when we talk about families and family values, it's very difficult because it's so diverse. So every situation is unique to our culture. So I had to ask myself when I was thinking about these things, what are some of the things that we all have in common regardless of where we come from? One of the things that we have in common in is that uh, your family origin, you didn't get an option. You had no choice. You are just born into your family. You didn't get to say, you know what, yeah, I'll check on this one and I'll go there. The funny thing about this is, is when you were in grade school or junior high school, you wish you had a choice, right? <laughs> Because that other guy's family was a lot cooler than your family. You know, when they brought their lunches to school, you're like, wow, your mom made that for you? I, I got bologna and cheese again. Man, she forgot to put mayonnaise on this thing, too. I don't know what's going on with that. You know, and you looked over, and, and they got to stay up later than you did, and they got to watch movies that you didn't get to watch. And you're like, man, I wish I had your family, not my family. And so we all had an option. We just didn't get a choice, right? So we were born into our family, or we had a part of our family, um, and the second thing is, when I say father, mother, brother, or sister, there's always emotions tied to that. Those terms are not emotionally neutral. Just saying father and mother conjures up some type of emotion. It might be happiness, it might be sadness, it might be good memories, or it might be bad memories. And I've noticed something, especially as my children have grown, is that parents... We get obsessed about that one moment when we feel like we really messed up. I don't know if you've ever been that. Man, I really blew it as a child. And I asked my daughter a couple years ago. She's, is Sarah 25, 26, something? 26, thank you. Her best friend over here. Sarah's 26. And I, last time we were in Japan, I asked her, I said, man, I, I was thinking about some of those situations. And I said, I really messed that up. And she said, number one, I don't remember it. And then she started laughing about it. She just thought that was a funny thing, that I had done that or did that. And then some of the things she did remember, they were funny memories to her. And I thought they were these deep memories. And this is what I, I think I've learned about children is the overall emotion really determines what they think about their childhood. So if they felt con- unconditionally loved, if they felt valued as a child, if you raise them away, those situations that we think could do them harm, they just laugh at later in life because the overall experience and the emotion... A family was a good experience, just the opposite of true. If the experience was harsh or, or you felt neglected or if you felt um, abused as a child, those experiences are magnified to the place where they become wounds in your heart. They're deep. They run deep. And I've experienced that side of it. And you will need some emotional healing. So two things we know about families is, number one, you didn't get a, a choice. And number two, there's a lot of emotions involved in family. Um, so when we get married and we have children, according to our experiences and according to our emotions, we have a distinct and definitive expectation about what we think our family 
should be like. And we're coming from different angles, coming to the thing. And here's the challenge. If you read the stories of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's not a lot of great examples of family. You can't look in the Old Testament and go, well, that's how a family should operate. Adam and Eve, first married couple ever, comes to a place where Adam chooses Eve over God when they sinned in the garden. And John Eldridge says this, this is in the Garden of Eden, man chose woman over God, and men have been choosing women over God ever since. The first homicide ever recorded is their children, Cain killed Abel. The first civil war in the nation of Israel is David's son, Absalom, trying to take the throne from his father. So these dynamics of a father and son fighting, several thousand people are killed and maimed because of this strained relationship. But something switched in the New Testament came along. Jesus ushered in a new era of forgiveness and grace. And so the Apostle Paul was applying the principles that Jesus taught in regards to grace, forgiveness, love, and equality of all people, when he was speaking in Ephesians 5, he was instructing a Roman and Greek audience about marriage and family values. And it's going to be so difficult for me to to really help you understand the weight of his thoughts. Because his teachings were so radical to their culture and their mind thought, They couldn't even wrap their mind about it. Here's an overview of his teaching in Ephesians 5. He's saying we should submit to each other. And as as couples, we should talk things out and work things out and treat each other as equals and and work through our issues. And men, now you're supposed to love your wives unconditionally and lay down your life for your wives. You're willing to take the leadership and, and take the bullet if you need to for the family. That's what you should be doing for your family. And women, you should submit to and respect your husband as the leader of your family. And children, you should obey your parents. And parents, don't treat your children in a way that exasperates them and wants them, makes them want to rebel against you. And I know what you're thinking. Well, that's just old-fashioned. That's my grandma's family. We've been doing that forever. That's just commonplace. In fact, that's out of outdated, but not in that time. In that time, that was radical. It was way out of the box. To teach that men, women, and children were equal, that didn't happen in those days. That we should submit to each other. That a husband should lay down his life for his wife. That our interaction with children should be in such a way that we actually considered their feelings. That's crazy talk back then. They had never seen a culture ever interact in this way. In this culture, women had little higher value than cattle or sheep. They wouldn't even name their children until they got older because the immortality rate was so high. If you didn't like your child and you thought your child might abuse your inheritance, they gave you the right just to adopt another kid that you thought would take care of your your riches. And that one was kicked out and the new one got it. And I just want to tell you right now, I'll be glad to take care of your finances. I'll do a good job, all right? So if you think your kid's going to do a bad job, no, I'm just kidding, of course. So when Paul comes in and says, listen, I'm changing all the rules. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to think differently. And see, when Jesus was speaking and when he was teaching and he stopped in the middle of a sentence and he looked over and the disciples were trying to keep the children away. It's because in those days, children, you didn't you didn't interrupt somebody like that. And there's no way an adult would even acknowledge a child. And so when Jesus said, let the little children come to me, we think, oh, that's so cute. But they were thinking, are you kidding me? What in the world are you doing? 
You're letting kids in? It was so beyond them. And so they were appalled that he would even allow this to happen. So the Apostle Paul comes on and he uses the teachings of Jesus, elevating the status of women and children to a place that was radical. It had never been done before. And when Jesus died on the cross for men, women, and children and gave them equality to inherit the kingdom of God, it went across the grain of everything they knew and believed in their society. So Paul says, submit to each other. Men, love your wives unconditionally. Give up your life for your wives. Women, respect and honor your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Treat your children with respect and don't exasperate them. It created this incredible tension in the church and in the followers. If I decide to follow New Testament biblical values about family, it will fly directly in the face of popular cultural thinking and behaving. It will be so radical and so outside the box and it's so different than anything I've ever known and everything I've ever taught. It's not the norm and I'm not sure I can even live up to those values. And if I do live like that, I'm going to look so different than anybody I know. So the temptation that they face, the temptation that we face today is this. Do I diminish what is ideal to line up with what I know is real? And our temptation as a church that we've been facing, as a family, as a spiritual movement, will be to lower the bar and succumb to the norms of our culture in order to feel good between what is real and what is ideal. Most of us lower the bar so that we can be content with where we're at because the tension is so strong because because what we should be and what we really are, is it's very difficult to live with. It's a grave temptation that the church is facing today in regards to biblical truth and our culture. And let me tell you something, it's only going to get worse. Now, here's another misconception. And you got to listen to everything I have to say. Please don't get stuck. I know when you guys get stuck. When I say something like, okay, I know who you are. I see every facial expression. I will point you out today, okay? So please don't get stuck on this. Here's a misconception. Jesus came full of grace. That's not the misconception. We know that. He loves everyone and died for everyone's sins. Therefore, the misconception is that he lowered the expectations, that he abolished all the rules and regulations, and he extended grace so that everyone could be happy. I call it hippie Jesus. (laughs) Peace, man, love. You know what I mean? And I want to say this, Jesus never lowered the bar. In fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus kept raising the bar. He said this, you've heard that it was said, you should not murder. That was an Old Testament law. He goes, but I tell you, if anyone has anger with a brother or sister, he's subject to judgment. You're the same as a murderer. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if anyone has lust and looks at a woman lustfully, they've already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this is what he's saying to everyone there and to everyone here. Basically, everybody probably sitting here is either a murderer already or an adulterer. He didn't lower the bar. He just raised the bar. Now, here's what Jesus, Jesus did that's so amazing is he raised the bar, but he refused to condemn those who didn't make it. In fact, he died as a perfect sacrifice to forgive everyone who did not make it or could not make it. 
John 1, 16 through 17 says, Out of the fullness we have all received grace and place of grace already given. In other words, he just kept piling on the grace. For the law was given through Moses. Now, this is what I love. This is what we're talking about. The grace and truth mixed together came through Jesus Christ. Truth with tons of grace. Jesus came to raise the current standard, but he gives grace, tons of grace to those who've not achieved. And grace for us to be able to achieve. And all was accomplished through his work on the cross where he died for us. The standard got higher, but grace got deeper. The standard got higher, but forgiveness got richer. The standard got higher, but the inclusion got broader. Jesus taught towards an ideal, perfect scenario, but refused to condemn those who did not achieve the ideal. It's an interesting thing. It's a tension. The tension is this. Are we willing to embrace the ideal or value that God intended, though it may not be the reality for us or our family, and it definitely isn't the standard of our society, or will we lose sight of the ideal so that we can feel better about where we're at as a society? Are we willing to embrace family values that are biblical, even though we may not be able to live up to them or haven't lived up to them or it's too late to live up to them? Or are we going to do the easy thing and abandon the value and declare what my reality is normality? The choice is up to us. This is the tension. This is the temptation. Now, the most profound illustration I know about this concept is found in the book of Matthew. Now, please stay with me. It's about marriage dynamics. We're talking about a concept, not the specifics here. So Matthew 19, verses 3 through 8. Some of the Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And you need to understand, in those days, they had a version of no-fault divorce that you can't even imagine. Here's how no-fault divorce worked in first century Judaism. If a man no longer wanted to be married to his wife for any and every reason, doesn't matter what it is, all he had to do was publicly say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. He'd say it three times. And if he stood up and said it three times, she had to pack up and leave. That was the rule back then. Women had no rights. They couldn't divorce their husbands. So men, uh, they didn't have to go to court. There was no legal documents, no attorney fees, no deposition, just a proclamation. I divorced you, I divorced you, I divorced you. And women had no outs. Uh, she was stuck. So divorce law was very simple. A husband could divorce a wife for any and every reason, and a woman could never divorce her husband. So they tested Jesus because they said, you know what, your principles, we've heard you talk about marriage, we've heard you talk about divorce, they don't seem to line up with our culture. So Jesus, tell us, what is your opinion of this no-fault divorce system that we have going on in here? Can we divorce our wife for any reason? Now listen to what Jesus said. It's very interesting. Haven't you heard, he replied, or read, I'm sorry, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, now they're talking about the present day culture. They're talking about the rules of today. They're saying people don't get along. People lose interest. People have conflicts. It's a complicated world. I was young and foolish when I got married. Right now, Jesus, in this present society, the real world, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus says, let me take you back to the beginning. We're not going to talk about today. When things were perfect. When things were ideal. 
when things were exactly how God created them to be. It says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So I'm going to take you back to the beginning. I'm going to tell you what the ideal was. I'm going to tell you what God's plan was from the beginning. Two people come together to become one. And whatever God has made one, no one ever can separate. That's the ideal. That's the way God intended it to be. Now listen to their follow-up question. Verse 7, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Why? Because your hearts were hard. But listen to this, but it was not this way from the beginning. And like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not the real world we live in today, Jesus. What are you going to do for all those divorced people? If that's the idea, he goes, well, I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to die for him. I'm going to give him grace. Well, what's, is it a rule? Is it not? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. But it's a tension. So the tension is this. I have grace and forgiveness for all those who have not achieved, but I refuse to reduce the standard because of it. Is that interesting? He says, look at this. In the beginning, God made two out of one, and they're never to be separated. There came a day in the history of Israel that the people came to Moses, and they began to complain. They said, Moses, you understand things have changed. Things are different. You don't understand. That was at the beginning. Adam and Eve lived together in a beautiful garden. When God said that to Adam, that the two shall be one and never be separated, Adam didn't even have a choice. Okay, it was Eve or Coco the monkey. There was really no other women. <laughs> there was no no other women around. He he had to choose Eve. Moses, that's old fashioned. That's so dated. It's not culturally relevant anymore. So Moses gives in to the people because their hearts were hard, and he allows them to get a certificate of divorce. Now you fast forward to Jesus' day, and it spiraled to a place, right? That one instance spiraled to a place that they don't even need a certificate of divorce anymore. A man can just stand up and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it's over with. So they came to test Jesus. So Jesus, it seems like your teaching doesn't even match up with Moses' teaching, and it doesn't match up with our cultural tradition today. So Jesus says, well, let me take you all the way back to the beginning, the original idea and intent of what God intended for marriage. One man, one woman, for life. So I've got a little diagram. I'm going to show you sort of what happened. So I'm going to use my little pointer here. See, it's good. God's original intent was inseparable. That's what his intent was. That was his ideal, perfect idea of marriage. And then it came to a place where Moses allowed for divorce because their hearts were hard and they're complaining and all the things are going on. So he permitted them to have a certificate of divorce. Now we get to present day, the next slide. They spiral down to divorce for any and every reason. Just have to state it and you can be divorced. That's where it came down to. And so here comes Jesus, full of grace, full of love, all the things like that. What did Jesus do? Did he lower the standard? No, what did he do? Next phrase. He 
raised the standard and said, let me take you back to the beginning, to what God intended. You want to know what I think about this? (laughs) I'm going to raise the bar back up again. This was what God intended. And now the question was, what do you do with all those people in between that did not make it? And this is what he said. I'm going to give them grace. See, that's what Jesus came to give. Um, He died for their sins and gives grace to everyone who hasn't met the standard, but that doesn't mean he lowers the standard. And there's a great example of this found in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what did you say? They were using this question as a trap. Seems like they were trying to do that a lot. In order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started right on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, we've all sinned in some way. We've all done something wrong. We've all broken the law. We've all separated ourselves from God. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Listen to this then neither do I condemn you. I give grace. Then Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Very interesting. She didn't make the standard. Don't commit adultery. What does Jesus do? No condemnation. Lots of grace. But go now and raise the standard back up again. She had to leave that place and go tell the man she has an affair with. It stops now today. Just because he extended grace doesn't mean I get to keep doing it. So Jesus forgives. He doesn't contend. He extends grace, but he didn't lower the standard. He reinforced the standard. And see, you know this is true and you believe the same thing. You know why? Because if you've ever experienced divorce, and I have as a child, Right? If you've ever gone through a divorce, you will do anything within your power to make sure it never happens to your child. You'll go to any lengths to make sure they never have to go through that. So although we have grace and we have love and we forgiveness, you want the standard for your children to be God's ideal intent. Does that make sense? If you've ever gone through an adultery, one side or the other, if you've experienced that, You would never want that committed against one of your children. Ever. So grace is extended and forgiveness is extended, but we don't lower the standards. We want that standard high. So we know that's true. And that is such a tension between what is ideal and what is real in our lives. Reality is that we all sin and we all have sinned. So that at that moment when you've sinned or you're in that place... You are faced with the temptation. Are you going to lower the standard so you can feel good about your situation? Or will you maintain the standard and receive the grace of God of forgiveness? Now back to Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. Paul puts out these principles. The teachings of Jesus. 
radically alters the landscape of family relationships. During a time when women and children were treated a little more than family pets, submit to each other as equals. Love your wife unconditionally. Lay down your life for her. Women, respect and submit to your husbands. Let him lead your family. Children, obey your parents. Parents, treat your children as human beings. Discipline, yes, but in a way that it causes them to, to follow uh, after you in a, in a positive way. Mind-blowing concepts that they had never heard before in their entire life. And Paul decided not to cave in to the cultural norm, but to establish the ideal in the face of reality. We're just not a cast our, our wives aside for any reason. We don't do that. We become one with her. We're going back to the idea we're going to treat her as an equal and inseparable. That's the ideal. We're going to stand on that. Divorce is just not an option. That's the ideal. Uh, I can't even fathom what that society thought about the followers of Jesus. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, guys are walking down the streets with their arms around their wives. And the other guys are going, what in the world are you doing? Do you... They're treating their children like members of the family, caring for them, asking their wives' opinions. I think the other guys in that society are going, guys, you are, you're messing this up, you Christians. Why? It was so, that was water cooler talk. Did you see that guy the other day? Can you believe what he was doing? Oh my gosh. This is terrible. What's going on? Or, or it was just like, what is this? This is so radically different than anything we've ever seen. Now, it's not my intention today to really talk about divorce and adultery. These were the examples that we're talking about. My intention today is to talk to you about family values that you live by. Are they biblical family values? Derived by the core of what the Bible teaches that permeate your family. And you are faced with a cultural dilemma today. If you live in accordance to biblical values, you're going to go against the deeply embedded grain of our society and our cultural standards. And it's only going to get worse. So if you create a biblically-based value system that sets a framework of your family and it's going to go against the norm of your society, you... Hear me out, and your children are going to look and act differently to a place that it's going to stand out. Imagine, again as an example, if the church world got back to the ideal of God's marriage all across the United States. Imagine what people would begin saying. What is going on over there? Why is it that their marriages are working so well? Why is that happening? They look so different than the rest of us. So the question is, is are we, are we going to embrace a standard that many of us have fallen short of? Or will we change the rules so that we feel better about where we're at to fit into today's culture? And as followers of Jesus, we don't have the permission and we don't have the luxury of dismissing what seems to be archaic in the past Grandma's version of family just because it's no longer the norm of society. We must humbly extend grace and forgiveness, which we do to all who don't achieve, never condemning, but yet never lowering the bar of God's ideal situation. I want to be that church that does that. I want to be a church that says, you know what? We don't condemn you. We give grace. We understand We've all been through those situations. But I don't want to lower that bar. And see, it's difficult because when I 
talk about people who have been married 50 years and all things. There's situations, like I said, there are all kinds of situations here. But you know what? For every person that's married in very three years, I want to tell them you can go 50 years. I don't want to drop that. I don't want to say, you know what? I was talking to a teacher first service after, after the message, and he came to me and he goes, one of the biggest talks I have, and he goes, and I, I have to keep God in my conversations when I'm talking to my students. These are high school students, and I just asked him, I said, how many of you are afraid of getting divorced one day? And he goes, almost every hand just sort of goes up like this. And he says, you can see the fear in their eyes, Lloyd. And he goes, I want to remove that fear. And I go, man, so do I. <laughs> I don't want to lower the standard and say, well, you're just, you know, that's just what's going to happen because that's what happens. I want to say God loves you, forgives you wherever you're at. There's no condemnation. But I tell you what, he has a plan for your life. There's an ideal situation that if you can achieve that, he'll give you grace and get to that place. It'll be amazing. So can we do that? Will we be able to say, you know, we're going we're gonna to receive forgiveness, but we're not going to lower the standard in our lives and our families. We're going to live by the biblical values. Even though sometimes we don't get there, we're still going to live there. And we're going to go after that and give grace and no condemnation. That's what this church is about. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you came to forgive us, to give us grace, to give us salvation, that there's no condemnation found in you. That regardless of whether we met the standard or we didn't need the standards, you give grace and forgiveness. But I want to thank you, Jesus, that you didn't lower the standards. You kept them where God's perfect ideal is at. So not only do we receive the grace and forgiveness for the times that we haven't, we receive the grace to get there and to raise the standards in our lives. We choose as followers of Jesus Christ today... We make a declaration that we are going to follow biblical patterns for our family. That our values are going to match biblical values. And we're not going to lower our standards. I make that commitment to you, Father, just because of what this culture says. And I understand. I want to, get, I want to ask you, Lord, for the power for every family here to know that when they make that stand, they're going to look different, but you're going to give them the power to be able to stand in a world and still extend grace and love with no condemnation, but to live in a way that radically alters their life and radically alters the world around them. So we need power to do that, Father. We need fortitude to do that. And we need your grace to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Streams Church in Litchfield Park, Arizona. Visit StreamsChurch.org for service times, general information, and more.